Jeffrey Shropshire is out this week, which fulfills normally Jeff's quota of doing something once and never again. So we have a guest co-host with Chris Lawrence, also known as Misfit. He was uh, one of the early guests on the St. Mort Show. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing good. I guess I'm Jeff Jr. today. Yep, that works. <laughs> uh, now, when I first had Chris on the show, he had just started doing the hip-hop thing. He was actually in a group called Wake the Sleeper at the time. Yeah. And this was kind of a side project, and now it's a... Uh, it's, it's, a it's a main project now. Wake <laughs> the Sleeper is sort of a bit the dust yet again. I don't think it's coming back this it's time. <laughs> the Sleeper has slept. Yeah, but the funny thing is Five Days Ahead woke up. Really? Yeah, Five Days Ahead is actually back, and we're eventually going to be playing shows, I think, which is funny because we went from prog rock I went from a prog rock band to nerdcore hip hop to a pop punk band on the side. But yes, Misfit is my main project now. Are you gonna get? Are you guys gonna be taking that like super seriously, or is it gonna be kind of like how all these other pop punk side. bands are just kind of popping up and doing random reunions here and there? Uh, number two. Number two. Number so two. So like <laughs> number you're not, two. You're not gonna sit down and, like write a bunch of new songs and like do serious tours and a new album. It's more just like, hey, we're gonna play some stuff for the kids who are our age that miss seeing us right. live. We're we're gonna write maybe two three four songs and see what happens why do you think uh, this raises actually a really interesting question because there have been a lot of um pop punk bands from like the late 90s early 2000s that have been reuniting um what do you think that that drove all of these bands to kind of just stand up at the exact same time essentially i, I don't know because maybe like because all these pop punk bands are popping up out of nowhere, these new ones like emo type, hardcore, whatever they are, and you have to go back to your roots, man. Do you, do you, you got to go back to your roots. Do you think there's an element of? Um, there was a quote that I heard once uh, from you know, not the greatest source, but it was Fred Durst <laughs> of Limp Bizkit, and he was <laughs> all right. We're talking about rock and roll. With Fred Durst. Way he to was, go. He was talking about why Limp Bizkit was getting back together and why West Borland was coming back on guitar and essentially his, they quote, needed more money. No, his quote, which I liked and I'm wondering if this is the same thing was as much as we hate each other, we hate modern music more. <laughs> and it's kind of one of those things where I, I have to wonder like our bands, like the get up kids sitting there and going, this is what like we wrote something to write home about. And that inspired all time. low. <laughs> like well, no, we need to we need to show these people that you don't need to have dance beats in the back of all your songs to be a pop punk band. I don't, I don't know about that. Like maybe maybe that is, but maybe some people like, hey, okay, I all time low so and so whatever they listed the Get Up Kids and all these other bands as influences and like, hey, I like this band. I wish I could see them live. Well, the Get Up Kids are like, well, now you can. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I don't I don't know, but Limp Bizkit getting back together scares me. Uh, see, I actually am a, I, I have, you know, I write an article on Geekscape Guilty Pleasures, so. That's not a guilty pleasure for I me. I have a whole bunch of them. <laughs> Limp Bizkit, Kid Rock. I, I'm working very hard with trying to get a local band to be my backup band to do an all Kid Rock cover set one day at a show. Good luck with that. <laughs> I found a band that wants to do it, so. Because it's, you know what, like as crappy as that music is, 
you can't tell me that like ball with the ball still isn't one of the best like just pump yourself up songs like when you hear that you're just like yeah yeah kid rock <laughs> i'm not really yeah oh. yeah kid rock i mean like i'm like okay but nah uh, I, no, I just think that there was something i mean the, the next uh okay okay my guilty pleasure is lisa loeb okay Lisa Loeb's awesome. Yes, she is. That, that but, album, Tales, is yeah, great. Yes. But it bothers me that everyone knows her for Stay, when I think Do You Sleep was a way better single. I like, I like Firecracker. My favorite album was Firecracker. That's I like Firecracker right. I, and um, uh, Cake, Cake and, and Pie. Pie. I didn't like Cake and Cake Pie. Cake and Pie much. was fun. It was a fun, <laughs> fun little album. I cannot believe that we're talking about girl, you know, singer-songwriter well, stuff. Well, one of my guilty pleasures which is going up on Geekscape's website Monday or Tuesday, is Insane Clown Posse. Oh, God. And I most recently did an interview with uh, Sean Dunn behind the documentary American Juggalo. Uh, so, <laughs> American Juggalo. So let's cut to that interview, and we'll be back in just a couple minutes. All righty. All right, I'm here with Sean Dunn, the director of the documentary American Juggalo. Uh, and you've been working on a couple other projects, actually, haven't you? Yeah, I... Um... A little bit of everything. I do some commercial work uh, and um, so a short documentary from time to time. I'm about to embark on a on a new one that could end up being a feature length. Oh, well, that's kind of cool. Uh, can you tell us what that one's about yet, or do you want to keep that? Um, I'm I'm kind of trying to keep it a secret, but it takes place in um, the it, it, the Appalachian Mountains, and it has to do with uh, OxyContin. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, now the American Juggalo documentary, I actually got from a friend who I had an ongoing argument with about, uh, insane clown posse. Cause I was a fan and he hated them. And I was like, I think you're hating the Juggalos and not them. <laughs> uh, um, and it was really cool to watch that documentary. What inspired you to, to just go to the gathering of the Juggalos and just interview the people there? I think I think I'm the opposite of your friend. I think I I uh, always kind of loved the Juggalos, but hated the Insane Clown Posse. And um, I, I, you know, it seemed like they were getting a little bit of an unfair rap in the in the press. You know, there there seemed to be a lot of press coming out about them in the past couple of years with the Tequila Tequila incident and everything. So I figured, uh, you know, let's go there and give them their own voice and just you know try to keep it as. Uh, objective as possible and and let them speak their minds well and i think it was cool because you had a lot of people who were what you would consider what people imagine when they think of a juggalo but then you also had people who were like science teachers and straight edge kids and all these things where it's like oh i didn't like everyone just thinks okay juggalos they wear clown makeup they do fago they drink fago and do a bunch of drugs and you kind of found yeah. a wide spectrum. Well, and, and you know, and, and that was, you know, there definitely is an element of the unexpected in there. And it wasn't even necessarily by design. We were just kind of walking around with our cameras and uh, whoever came up to, to us, we would talk to. Um, we weren't really pressing too many people to, to interview them, nor like looking for a certain um, sector of people to, to talk to. It, it was basically who came up to us. So it just shows that, yeah, there, there's, there's a pretty wide range of, of uh, people there. Were, were people at all apprehensive thinking that this was going to be a negative portrayal of them or were people just kind of free to want, like want it to talk? Um, I, th- I think they wanted to talk. I think there, there was a couple, there was, there was a little bit of a, uh, 
reluctance at first because because of how the mainstream media has been portraying juggalos so there there was a little bit of that at first where people would be like who are you guys with what are you, what are you guys doing what is this for and when i would tell them that uh that we were an independent company just or or an indep- i was an independent filmmaker that that was just putting something out for free on the internet they were actually really excited to have their voices heard i don't think they realized how how many people would be seeing this but uh <laughs> you know I, I don't think that any of them would change any of their responses anyway. Um, and were you there for the entire weekend, or did you just kind of go for one day and do an interview? Or no, we were there all four days. And what, like, did you also enjoy the? You said you're not a fan of Insane Clown Posse. Did you watch any of the performers, or did you really just focus on the Juggalo culture? Well, most of the time we spent. Um, just going around the campsites and everything. But um, yeah, we took some time to to take in some of the performances. And trust me, we had fun while we were there too. Yeah. <laughs> we got swept up in everything. But uh, yeah, yeah, we I, I, we didn't stay for Insane Clown Posse. Um, we had to kind of beat the crowd out of there. But uh, yeah, we, 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 en- we enjoyed the, the gathering as much as uh, any juggalo would. And was there... Was there a point when you were doing this where you went like, okay, this might actually be something bigger than than what I intended it to be? Um, wow, that's a good question. It's hard to say. There was a couple interviews where I walked away thinking, I think this is something special. And, um, you know, I think that that had some more to do with, you know, the, the content of the interview and, and the, the larger-than-life characters. I think when I interviewed... Um, Eddie and Maniac, who Eddie's the, the 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 big fat guy with the red shirt sitting down smoking a cigarette and he keeps say, he's saying fucking every two seconds. <laughs> and uh Maniac is the girl, I mean everyone knows Maniac. There we interviewed them back to back. I think coming out of those interviews, I was like, we have something pretty special here. Yeah, that I there was a lot of I was surprised by how frank and open a lot of the people were, knowing that this was gonna be seen by people. You know, you've got the girl just standing naked in the middle of a, a field just doing an interview and yeah you know one guy saying like i've done over a hundred whippets today like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it, you know that type of stuff also i was i was just like wow this is gold you know just because because they're being so forthcoming and being so honest uh i think it's something that you don't get in film or television a lot i think i think everyone has their guard up these days and uh I think that's partly why this is this film has achieved such success is because you're really getting like stripped down version of people. People they really don't care how they come off. Have you heard any responses from the Juggalo community? Oh yeah, they love it. They love it. Um, I, I think that they are very appreciative to have something you know as like kind of a time capsule of of who they are and. You know, I think that they think it serves as kind of a, like a cross section of what jugglers are all about because, you know, uh, it, it's it's not always the most flattering portrayal of them, but it's an honest portrayal, and I think they appreciate that. And that, that's at least what they've told me. Is there uh, anything that didn't make it into the final product that you kind of regret not putting in there? Uh, there's nothing I don't regret. There's there's nothing I regret putting not putting in there. Um, but there is a ton of stuff that's really interesting. Um, I didn't think that it would have mass appeal, but now that I've put this out, the the biggest, uh, I guess, criticism I've gotten was that it's not longer, and uh, it could have been two or three times the length, and w- with just as compelling stuff in there. But I, I just think that I wanted to give something lean and mean that could be 
easily digestible. Hey, I, I feel like if you were going to go for a full length, you'd eventually have to have an interview with ICP to wrap it all up. Yeah, exactly. Like, and I wasn't necessarily looking to do that. I wanted to make this more of like, uh, there's a film from the 80s called Heavy Metal Parking Lot that we were kind of emulating with this. The uh, Decline of Western Civilization Part 2, right? Or is that... Oh, no, no, no. no. That's a great film as well. But uh, yeah, no, you should check out. There's a short film. It's 16 minutes, I think, called Heavy Metal Parking Lot, where they just went to a Judas, Judas Priest concert and interviewed people standing in the parking lot. And uh, it was a similar approach where, you know, they, they didn't bother, you know, trying to get to down to why people are metalheads or, you know, interviewing the bands or where did this culture come from? It was just simple, you know, people I, in the parking lot. I always assumed that that was part of the uh, decline of Western civilization. I learned something during this interview. There you go. <laughs> Western civilization part two is amazing. Part one is, is amazing too. That was kind of a, a blueprint for me coming up being a punk rocker. <laughs> now, what, like, I'm trying to think how to word this next question. Um, is there anybody that you walked away, like, you, you have all these people who are all different characters is there anyone that you could say was like hands down your favorite person to talk to that you could have talked to all day long with? Um, yeah, I mean, there was a, well, it depends. It, it depends on, on what you mean by that. Uh, one of the best interviews I ever did was with that guy, Eddie. I mean, I'm not talking about just in that film. I mean, ever. And I've done close to a thousand. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I could listen to that guy all day. As far as hanging out with, there's the guy that does the alcohol and explosives thing. <laughs> and uh, we ended up hanging out with that guy a couple of times. He, he's a, it was, he was a cool dude. He was on our level uh, and he was uh, really clean. So, um, you know, I, I found him to be fun to hang out with. And, but, you know, I'd hang out with all these guys again. We're talking about going back this year just, just as for fun. So Now, are you um, – you know, it's, kind of, it's always kind of weird to talk to people who – are filmmakers, but they really want to focus on documentary. Is there a particular reason why you have a focus specifically on documentary or is it just kind of where you ended up? Um, it's a little bit of both. I think that, you know, unbeknownst to me, all of my tastes always seem to, to lean towards things that, that are more like pure and genuine and truthful. And, um, you know, a lot of documentaries are bullshit and, you know, do exactly the opposite. But I think that it's probably the medium where you have the best chance to to portray something that's that's real. And, um, you know, I, I'd say even in my musical tastes and even in my, my taste of people that I hang out with and my friends and everything, you know, I'm just I'm always looking for something that's that's stripped down and genuine. And I think that's probably why I leaned towards documentary, whether I knew it or not. Well, I, what I really liked about watching American Juggalo is that it uh, it had an element that I like in documentaries, but I don't see as often is I like when a documentary doesn't have a narrator. I feel yeah. like it's just an extra element of you're taking away an easy way to manipulate the film. Yeah. And like it reminded me a lot of one of my favorite documentaries, American Hardcore, because it was just these are people telling their stories of what they saw in the 80s. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, and I think that, you know, by having that element, by having like a narrator or some sort of some sort of voice that carries the whole thing, uh, you're interjecting too much. And, you know, that's not to say that I'll never make a film like that. But right now I could never see myself doing doing something like that just because it, you, you're you're saying too much. I think that it's too much of a voice of God. And uh, 
that this did not need that. I think that the, the, the subject's voice carried it enough. Well, as my last question for the people who are listening, do you have any documentaries that you would want to tell them? Definitely check this out. Um, yeah, there's a oh, man. They're hard to find, I guess. Uh, there's a film called Sonic Outlaws. That's really good. A guy named Craig Baldwin did that. Um, that's really cool. Uh, anything by Errol Morris, but everybody's seen those films. Um, the King of Kong was really good. That came out like four or five years ago about video Phenomenal. Games. <laughs> yeah, that 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 film's amazing. Um, God, I don't want to I don't want to miss like a, a really good one. Sherman's March by Ross McElwee is a really good one that that not a ton of people have seen. That's worth checking out. There's a, there's a lot of good ones. Not lately though, so I'm out making them. <laughs> yeah, myself. the on, the only two that I've seen in the last like year and a half that I said well, that was kind of a cool documentary was uh, Winnebago Man. Yeah, I really enjoyed and. Uh, Slightly biased because a bunch of my friends are in it, but the People versus George Lucas. I didn't see. I never saw People versus George Lucas, but Winnebago Man was pretty good, actually. Um, I was the biggest fan ever of that viral video, so <laughs> I was the first person in the theater when that came out, and uh, yeah, I think they did a pretty good job on it. I, I think it was it was pretty good, and it was you know compelling for me. I don't yeah. know if somebody hadn't seen that viral video if that would be as compelling. But I actually hadn't okay. seen it before yeah. I saw the Winnebago Man. But as like just a fan of viral video, it was cool to kind of see like, eh, maybe you maybe it's best not to look in the back lives of these people because then you start to care about them. Exactly. And, like, <laughs> uh, people versus George Lucas. If you're a Star Wars fan at all, is a phenomenal film because it's not nearly as attacky as the uh, title makes it sound. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was just at the video store like an hour ago, and I saw that, and I was like, I've never even heard of this. I don't know what this thing is. So now I'll uh, I'll have to grab that next time I'm in there based on your recommendation. Yeah, it's it's very interesting just because you have just as many people who defend the prequels and defend the changes as yeah. there are people who are like, no, no. Really? Interesting, interesting. So, it, it was a very – I was shocked by how fair and balanced it was because it could have easily just been an hour and a half of just like, fuck George Lucas. How dare he? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there's a ton of that all over YouTube anyway. So, so it's, it's not really covering any new ground. <laughs> now, if anybody wants to follow your upcoming projects or just see American Juggalo, what is the best way for them to do that? Uh, there's two ways. Oh, American Juggalo, just type it. Just Google it. Um, and to see the rest of my films, you could go on my website. It's uh, veryapeproductions.com. It's V-E-R-Y-A-P-E productions.com. And uh, you could also follow me on Facebook. I have a Facebook fan page. I don't run it, but uh, there's always up-to-date information about what I'm up to on there. I forgot. I meant to ask you, is Very Ape a uh, Nirvana reference? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the best song they've ever had. I, I love that song, and I love the name of that song. And I always said when I was a kid, when I was a kid listening to that, that if I ever started a company, I would, uh, I would name my company that. And um, I actually went through with it, and then I realized it's really not the best company name because it's. I always have to spell it every time I say it. And if people Google just very ape, they're gonna get a bunch of Nirvana lyrics and videos. First. Yeah, at this point, my my thing might be up there. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm gonna test it out when we get off this. All right. Well, thank you so much, Sean. Cool. Thanks, man. Have a good day. Later. All right, and we're back. Um, now, <laughs> I'm sitting here with Misfit. Uh, over last year, what like up? I said, you started yeah. off doing the hip-hop thing as a joke. It but, wasn't a joke. It would never... Not as a joke, well, but it was just kind of like a side project. Yes, like it was, was a side project. It was, uh, how can I put it? 
a confession of all my loves of geek culture and nerd culture and stuff. Now, if you don't mind me digging up uh, a little bit of some of the quotes that you had said in that previous interview. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> now, I remember the first time you told me about this was Wake the Sleeper and St. Mort were on a show together at CN Skate Palace over the summer, two summers ago, playing cover sets. And you yes. guys were doing all Coheed and Cambria sets. And I did a Weird Al Yankovic set. Yes. And you were like, yeah, th- we won this contest and we went in the studio and this producer asked me to sing a hook for a rapper. And I kind of really dug it. So I think I'm going to try some some hip hop stuff. Uh, but then you were like, I really want to go more nerdcore stuff, more nerdcore stuff. And you would complain that the nerdcore community was a very difficult community to get in touch with and to get help from. Um, but at first, of, yes. But I was gonna say, as of late, it seems like you have been very well embraced by the yeah, community. Yeah, I actually. When did that change happen? Well, what happened was <clears throat> it was crazy. Like, I started trying to play some scene stuff, and I played a show in um, Ardmore mm-hmm. for like eight of my friends. It was not that great of a show. <laughs> it was. I remember you told me about that show. Yeah. And it was a bringer show, and right off the bat, I was like, "Dude, I don't." I think you're about to get scammed. <laughs> like, that was yeah. Oh god. I, I oh boy. I'm like I, I'm I'm not gonna talk shit on people. I'm, you know, I'm not gonna talk shit on people. So let's just put it like well, it was it, it, it was at odds with the promoter. But whatever. I played. It was my first show I ever played well, as a hip hop artist, and it was completely say, different. Let's say just instead of talking crap on anybody, if you're a young musician and you're offered a show where you can only play if you sell X amount of tickets. It might not be the best idea. It, it might not be the best idea, but sometimes it's the only idea because there's no other place you there's can get a show. Get yeah. So you get exposure regardless. I mean, it sucks that you know you have to do that pay to play, but yeah. there are a lot of things you have to pay to do. Yeah. So you know, it's, it is one of those things where it does immediately yeah. put a rough spot in certain yeah. people because then it's like, okay, well, what if I have to sell twenty tickets and I can only sell fifteen? And then my 15 friends go to this show and I don't even play. <laughs> oh, well, well, they had a whole thing like if you don't sell X amount of tickets, we just cut your set by five minutes. I'm like, all right, whatever. Well, that's a better deal. There's because there's some whereas if you don't yeah. sell like 20, 25 tickets, you don't get to play at all. Yeah. And then it's like, OK, so now this poor group of high school kids can maybe only sell 20 tickets and their friends just wasted a bunch of money on tickets to not even see the band perform. Yeah, true. Like, I mean, it's Check the fine print. I yeah, guess yeah. Ba- basically, you have to take your lumps. That's what it also comes out to. And like, even though the show was not the greatest, but it did get rid of the stage fright I had. Yes, I actually had stage fright for a change because it was the first time I ever did something by myself. But I can relate to that with even the St. Mort stuff. Not so much because I'm doing something by myself, but because you know you're doing something unlike everybody else that's on that show. Yeah. And that was like a primarily hip hop, like I got swag, I got swag show. Yeah. That was, it was a completely different thing. It was different. Well, and you're about to play a show in about two hours. Yeah, yeah, and, I, and yeah. That's I another know. one where it's like, I, you know, I'm both excited and nervous to see it because it's one of those things where it's like, I know that you can rap and I've heard it. I've never gotten to see you live, so I'm excited to see you perform live. But I'm also really excited to see how the audience reacts to it. Because you really are on like a lot of pop punk bands and maybe two acoustic acts and you know another rap group and it's like wow 
how are they gonna react to this? Yeah, how are they gonna react to nerdcore hip hop? I, I don't know. Like, I was worried about that when I played the Astronautilus show at the fire. Yeah. I was like, how are they gonna react to nerdcore hip hop? I mean, Astronautilus is like you know the indie hip hop type stuff. Yeah. And then they had uh, Zilla. We'll see. With that, I think that well, works. Zilla Raka, and it was cool. See, I think what you do though is such. It's not the nerdcore that people think of. Right. That, because I think when people think of yeah. nerdcore, the first names they think of are like MC Frontalot, MC, MC Chris, Chris yes. Random, MC Lars, that have a very distinct, almost pop punky, but, but the funny thing, sound. But the funny thing is like you hear, rand, you hear Random New Mega Ran, and then you hear Random as Random. Yeah. It's completely different. Yeah. And it's amazing regardless. <laughs> but, but what I'm saying is like, like as much as you're a nerdcore rapper, someone like Team Goldie, who's not a nerdcore rapper, has a sound that sounds more like nerdcore than you do. Well, because <laughs> uh, there's a lot of that pop punky sound. Yeah, in his I mean, beats. But, but he also has a lot of dancey pop punky stuff. But like nerdcore really isn't pop punky. Like if, but that's what people think of when they think of it because of who the biggest. Well, that the, that's the, who. And hopefully that'll yeah. change soon. But like I said, because it's so much MC Chris, MC Lars, MC Front a lot, right. it is a lot of like, oh, I, I, when I think of it, nerdcore, I think of really funny, goofy, upbeat hip hop. While you're actually part of a different genre of hip hop well, that's a little bit more legit well, in the sense yeah, of well, style and beat. Here, here's the thing. I'm going to do some. All right. I'm going to plug Mr. McGinnis's label here, uh, okay. scrubclubrecords.com. Check it out because that will introduce you to a lot more nerdcore artists that are more sort of like me. Yeah. Like Kabuto the Python, Mad Hatter, King Phoenix, um, Dale Chase. I hope he's still on the label. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, MC Diabetes. Like, it's artists that aren't like happy, chippy, you know, happy, chippy chip hip hop. Core meets hip hop. Right. It's not chip core meets hip hop. I mean, like, everybody starts to think, oh, nerdcore, you have to have chip tunes and, you know, it's always video game music and it's not. Yeah, I mean, listen to the Thought Criminals. Listen yeah. to Michael K. Michael K. Hill and Sulphur, the Thought Criminals. Like even Adam Warrock. Yeah. Like you listen to Adam Warrock. Like he does a lot of comic book stuff, but then he also has a lot of really personal stuff. Well, no, what what I think is kind of cool is one of my all time favorite rappers, who, as long as I had known him, had always just been a Christian rapper. Has really started to make a lot of ground in the nerdcore scene is John Rubin, ah, yes. who's one of my all-time favorite rappers. And when I was in Los Angeles, I went to an MC Chris MC Lars random Adam Warwick show, and during MC Lars's set, he's like, "This song's dedicated to John Rubin," and I was like, "Why would he say that?" <laughs> so I went to him after the show because I know Lars from booking him previously, and he was in Tommy Avalone's film Community College. I was like, why did you say what's up to John Rubin? He goes, oh, because John Rubin's here. And I turned around and John Rubin was standing <laughs> behind me. And apparently, like, John Rubin's on MC Lars's new CD. And, like, he's getting more into this nerd court. Like, he's, oh, yeah. still, he's still the religious guy that he always was. But he's, he's you know, as people grow up, they mature a little bit. Same with, like, you know, you look at a group like Reliant K, who used to have very super religious lyrics. And now there's a lot more subtlety in it. Like, you get right. older and you realize, like, you don't have to... Be point blank about everything. Right, you don't have to be point blank. Yeah, <laughs> and it's the like, same thing with nerdcore. You don't, you know, you look, you listen to MC Chris's newest album, and you know, despite what he tries to do sometimes, he's always going to be a nerdcore rapper. But those songs aren't about video games and comics and Star Wars like they used to be about. Right. They're, 
they're about everyday things like dealing with trolls on the internet and and different stuff like that. Right, like that's the thing. Like nerdcore, so many people used to think nerdcore was about just video games and comics. I mean, yes, it is comics and video games. I mean, it's a great thing, but there's also inner struggle with life. There's also like <clears throat> high school, your your struggle through drugs, whatever you know, whatever it it is. Like it's becoming more of a musical genre. It's no longer just a you know. It's I mean it's sort of still a subgenre, but not really. I mean like it's more hip hop. I mean there's more nerdcore acts. I mean Mark with a C. Yeah. You know like there's more. Well, that's I mean yeah. There you look at. As much as we at Geekscape really, really, really rip on Chris Hardwick, uh, oh God. Chris Hardwick has his book, The Nerdist Way. Yeah. And, you know, despite how full of himself that book might seem, the general concept is what I think a lot of nerdcore pulls its seems it, its inner story from is how being a nerd helped him improve all the struggles and shit that was in his life. Like how embracing the fact that, you know what, I do love video games and you know what, I do like Star Wars helped him stop being ashamed of who he was and like made him stop doing drugs and stop drinking because it was like, I don't need to do this because you know, I'm doing this because I'm afraid of who I am right? type thing. And I think that that's where a lot of nerdcore is heading in this direction. Like you were saying, it's people who are overcoming different obstacles in their life because they're acknowledging, yes, I'm a geek and I do like these things and I don't have to be ashamed of it anymore. Right. I mean, why would you be ashamed of it in the first place? And, you just would. I mean, yeah. hell, I'm I'm one of the weird nerds. I'm a sports nerd. Yes, I I, I am a walking. You're rocking your Phillies hat right yes, now. Yes, I I am walking. Uh, I am a walking NFL encyclopedia, <laughs> and and that might not be that nerdy. But when people start to talk to me that are sports fans, they they see it's really nerdy. But yeah, like, and getting back to what you were talking about, like what happened since. Yeah. I mean, I was embraced by a scene. Well, I took my lumps. I took my lumps. I had no idea because I was trying. I was like, why can't I get no, you know, why can't I get no respect locally? Why can't I yeah. do this and that? And then there's not much of a scene in Philly for nerdcore. Right. And that. well, it, this was actually at a Wake the Sleeper show. I met this girl, Alyssa, and she was like, hey, I like your stuff. You need to go viral. You need to go viral. I'm like, okay. So I started looking up like nerdcore community things and I popped up to nerdcorenow.com. Yes. <laughs> Run by the awesome Danger Aaron. Amazing, amazing site, amazing, amazing people. And I put up some stuff, you know, started connecting with people. And I got a positive response rather than, you know, negative, oh, you suck, you know, blah, blah, blah. Got involved in some battles and all that. Was immediately um, predicted to lose the first round. And though me and MC Adamus actually ended up in the finals. Nice. Yeah, like completely. It was crazy. But, I mean, it was a fun time, and it's a very, it's a really good community. Like, people share stuff. I've collaborated with artists. I'm collaborating with artists still. I'm collaborating with a guy, uh, E.T., Poverty Man. Uh, I've done stuff with Tactical. Um, he also was under the name Urkassum. Yeah. I don't know, Backwards Massacre. Some people might know that. Some people might not. I'm also working with a band, with a, sorry, a band, a group from England called Twin D's on the Avengers mixtape. Okay. I'm actually doing a song called Hulk Smash with my friend uh, DJ Zombie Ninja Smoke because he, he's a zombie now. I have to get that shout out to Corey. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does a lot of beats for me. Uh, also, this guy Zirin Arms, like he, Zirin Arms, actually did the instrumental for the Nerdcore Meow theme, 
theme song for the podcast. One of many, I think, maybe just one, I don't know, but yeah. I am in the process of currently re-recording it because they added a third host ah. by the name of Beaker, and Beaker is awesome. Like, he has a lot of connections in the nerdcore scene, and it just blossomed, and I started getting embraced by the nerdcore scene rather than shunned. Yeah. And then that, then I had a November 5th show, you know, opening for the Astronautilus, and it was a pretty sold out show, which was pretty awesome. And I actually got a really, really good response. Not, you know, the response I was expecting. Yeah. I was expecting well, to I'm be booed e- off stage. I'm excited to see how things go tonight. Um, just because like even people like Nitty Gritty, when Nitty Gritty used to come to Aston, they, you know, they said Aston is such a weird crowd because you do have that large group that just walks away if it's not a band that they know. Mm-hmm. But then... Aston also has a good amount of kids that are just ready to give anything a shot. And Nitty Gritty yeah. always talked about how Aston was the only show that they went to where they knew that when they came back, when they would play, there'd be kids that not only would be there to see them, but would know all the words and like sing along. <laughs> I mean, granted, their songs were about like hitting bitches in the face with frying pan. Um, if people know the words to the life we lead, like besides maybe two people, I'll be surprised. <laughs> now, we're... Uh, you were talking about you know being geeky about things outside of geeky stuff like sports stuff yeah. with you. I think for me, I I have a very encyclopedic knowledge about horror films. Oh yes, um, uh, I have that too. <laughs> but one person, one person who destroys me is director John Stuart Mueller, who huh. I met in Los Angeles. His girlfriend Leslie was on the show. Uh, this to, is a segue, people, to, to promote uh, her film Sick Girl. Huh. And he, I met him at a horror convention, and he hasn't directed any horror movies except for a short film with Leslie. But this dude knows his shit about horror. Um, so I want to cut to an interview I did with him back in Los Angeles. You can tell this is old because we're talking about the uh, Occupy Wall Street protests a lot throughout oh, it because it had just come up in the news. Oh, yeah, Occupy. So uh, I'll cut to that, and we'll be right back. Segway. Uh, our guest today is John Stuart Muller. Uh, he directed a film in, was it 2005? 2007. 2007 called Fling, which, uh, he was giving out for free at Kamikaze, uh, while he, right before he hopped on to the panel I was, uh, moderating. You make it sound so classy. (laughs) And, (laughs) and, uh, I watched it. And I really, really liked it. I was actually really blown away by it. Not that I had low expectations, but I was just like, man, this guy really knows a lot about horror and his movie is a love triangle film about relationships. Like, I don't know what to expect out of this. Well, I, yeah. Uh, first, thanks for having me on, Matt. No problem. <laughs> Especially because I'm not a big... I mean, I'm, I haven't done a lot of horror stuff, but, I mean, that was my biggest influence as a kid were Halloween and, and, and the Universal Monster movies and all that stuff. So I, I've just always had that influence. But I think... And I wanted to talk about this because we were watching movies last night. We watched Apollo 18, which was okay. And uh, then we watched Take Shelter, which is this Michael Shannon indie drama, I guess. But it really, theoretically, I mean, Leslie didn't make it through because it was late in the, the evening. So she had to <laughs> fell asleep. Yeah, it was her third movie in a row. But I, but I, uh, I stayed up. And it actually, the entire movie, it, I, it really is a horror film in the sense that you just feel this impending sense of dread. The whole movie is Michael Shannon, who's already creepy enough in anything. And, <laughs> and Michael Shannon starts having these visions that there's going to be some kind of storm, apocalyptic kind of storm. And he starts kind of, but he doesn't know if he's going crazy because his mother went crazy at his age. Uh, and so he doesn't know if he's having schizophrenia or if he actually, the, you know, the world's coming. 
And so you just, it's uncomfortable and weird. And what it does is it makes you feel things that you don't normally feel. And I think when I think of great horror films like The Shining and The Exorcist and, and Psycho and things like that, um, compared to say, you know, what we were talking about earlier, I'm Bloody Valentine and, yeah. <laughs> and slasher stuff, which I love too. It's fun. But, you know, those are just quick starts. You get scared and startled. But what I'm interested in, and that's why I think it applies to horror and drama and and even a good action film, a good peck and paw movie, like really it just, it makes you feel something that you don't, A, you couldn't feel in real life and B, or maybe haven't, and B, it's unique. And that's what's great. I think that's what art should do is make you feel something that you wouldn't normally feel. And so that's what, with Fling, I was, you know, trying <laughs> to basically do a love story, but get rid of all the trappings that, because we, we also watched Like Crazy last night, which is like the quintessential Sundance indie darling movie of the year. <laughs> and it is very nice. And I see people like it. Um, but it's also what Fling was trying to be a reaction to, which is, just the most traditional like oh boy meets girl boys encounters complication with girl because girl has a boyfriend and it's like well what if they the girl was okay with him dating the boy that's basically what we started doing with flying and so we just had a bunch of what's funny is that it really kind of predates a, a trend that happened recently although i don't know if two movies consist of a trend but i consider it that no strings attached and friends with benefits both came out this year and as i'm watching fling i'm like this is better than both of those movies, and it's taking it a lot more seriously than both of those that, movies. Thank you for that. First off, secondly, uh, the one which, with which one was Ashton in? No strings no attached. No strings attached. Um, and uh, he was uh, uh, that actually was cast by Joanna Colbert, who was our cast director and executive producer on Fling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I remember when she was doing that, and I remember I actually came in with her one day to like, I think she needed a guy to help with camera, and I was like, Yeah, I get to videotape Ashton Kutcher. How exciting! So I actually I enjoyed in, that movie. Like, I, I don't think it's a I'm bad, bad movie. I didn't see him. I feel like because I think I was just kind of like. I've done this already. Fuck you, Hollywood. (laughs) Like, why did you go to... Well, that's what I'm saying. I went in there, and it's like me videotaping Ashton Kutcher, and then Ivan Reitman and his two brothers walk in, or whatever, whoever his producer buddies are, and they're like 70-year-old men who, like... I mean, I'm I'm sure, I'm sure they've lived life, and they know their thing, (laughs) but like, what the hell do they know about being a (laughs) 20-something, wanting to have a relationship, but also wanting to fuck everyone you get your hands on, you know? So it's like... I, I. and so it was just frustrating to me. And Ashton Kutcher got it. I mean, he's and I, honestly, I was surprised. I, I never thought of him as, but he's totally together and smart and really personable um, and was actually annoyed because they were apparently rewriting the script on him like days before the shoot. And he's <laughs> like, well, how am I supposed to know this? But, um, but yeah, but Joanna, I think, felt the same way where she's like, it's just a shame because John should be making these movies, but because he already made one. <laughs> but, you know, the, the way Hollywood works is they have to, you know, there's the hierarchy and... Ivan Reitman outranks me quite a bit. It's one of those movies where it's like, I watch, I watch Fling, and Fling's one of those movies where I go, this is a film that I actually want to show people and say, like, you have to see this movie. It's really oh, good. Thank you. Whereas No Strings Attached, I own it, and I think it's funny, but it's kind of just one of those, like, I need to throw something on in the background that you know mm-hmm. I can look at, and I'll laugh, and I'll have a good time, but I'm not like invested in it. Yeah. And I think that's the big difference with, with that subject matter, is that people especially in hollywood hollywood's not going to make a serious dramatic film about it they want to make a goofy film about how it all well if it was dramatic it'd have to be like a moralistic cautionary tale thing which i tried i mean i have a bit of but i didn't intend for it to be anything a condemnation or a advocation if that's the correct word well and you actually showed a little bit more of the 
uh, not being someone who's actually ever been in one of uh, in an open relationship in my life, but I watched and I was like, I feel like this is more of what it's like, and I feel like it shows the legitimate aspects, and there are really shocking, startling moments wherein you know something like no strings attached it's more just like hey they're in love but they don't want to admit it so let's just watch them and like go oh hopefully they're gonna figure this out (laughs) yeah i just think love is i'm always interested in what happens after the hollywood love story ends when the boy meets girl boy gets and then they finally are together at the end well that's when the real relationship starts in real life. Like that's, that's when it becomes tough when you got to meet the parents, when you got to like decide if you're going to live together, when you know, all that kind of crap. And then, you know, and some of the better love stories are ones that span lifetimes, like two over the road and, um, or weird things like eyes wide shut where they're exploring life after they've been <laughs> together for a while. Um, well, it's funny. Cause for me, like I love teen flicks. I love teen flicks and romantic comedies, but I am that person who's just been so like beaten down with bad relationship expectations. Like, how am I supposed to watch a movie like She's the Man, which I like, but really expect <laughs> that that relationship is going to extend longer than like another semester yeah. of school? Well, <laughs> like, I've just watched and cheered for what's going to be a very temporary relationship. I was, I was really flattered. My editor, Sam Restivo, who's a great editor, he's gone on to do a number of other features and he's worked with Michael Mann and people like that. But, um, him and Ben Waters, my, my buddy who I've been working with for like 15 years, co-edited the movie. Um, and, uh, Sam actually referred to fling as like an adult version of a John Hughes movie. It's like, what if, no, if John Hughes characters had grown up because they have the same humor and stuff like that, but it's like, but reality is kind of kicking in and they can't <laughs> just, it's like if you took the serious scene from the end of the breakfast club and then kind of extended that into a movie or something, I don't know. I'm not sure where he was getting at exactly. But no, it does have that vibe. It does have kind of a, um, like a pretty in pink, like what would Ducky be like at 30? Yeah. Cool. Okay. <laughs> good. That's good. That's good. Uh, now you've also directed a short film called the last Halloween, which your girlfriend Leslie was in and she was a guest on the show recently. And that's actually how we met. Yeah. Was that Leslie and I had a good time doing the podcast and then I invited her to be on a panel and she brought you along and I met you and I was like, this guy's awesome. <laughs> Thank Which you. Which apparently is the same thing that every person on that panel apparently thought. Because then I interviewed uh, Becca from Fangoria and she's like, Dude, John and Leslie are awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm, tomorrow night, uh, I'm, Leslie's working, unfortunately, but Rebecca and I, and I'm bringing my, I want her to meet my buddy Fred, who's another film aficionado. He's shot a bunch of horror films and stuff like that. He's a cinematographer. And um, they're, we're going to go see Zombie Joe's uh, Grand Guignol horror show that I don't know anything about it. I mean, literally, I just <laughs> discovered this a couple weeks ago. I think I told her about it. She didn't know about it. Yeah. So maybe this is going to be her Fangoria review, but I think it's like the only live old school horror theater in I mean in LA for sure but maybe in America I don't know yeah. and he's basically does the kind of stuff that and that was the birth of horror it was like it came from vaudeville and they used to do Dracula and Frankenstein and all those movies because they would splatter the audience with blood and do so it's a gore. live stage show it's a live stage That's show I don't awesome. know if it's gonna be I mean I you know it's for all I know it's gonna be, be awesome. the genetic opera or something totally uh. buck wild <laughs> and who knows but maybe it'll be a throwback to that era that just doesn't exist anymore that I would love to have seen because I, I mean, I love the first horror. I mean, I think I looked up the first horror film and it was a Millier film. I mean, they can don't they consider it that it's yeah. not scary, but I mean, it's, I think it's called the house of the devil and it's a George Millier silent movie. It's like single shot thing. And it's, but it has like a couple effects and like explosions. Well, I mean, what's to say what's hard. I got into yeah. an argument about someone who said the jaws wasn't hard. And I was like, listen, if it makes people not want to go to the beach, there. it's yeah. a horror that's movie. Very, well, that's, and that's what I think. I think I, I look at it is because people are always, 
especially when you talk to people not in the industry and, and they don't have the language. Um, they just like, they know what they like and they know what they don't. I prefer to talk to people like that because yeah. you get a lot more honest opinions. They're not trying to sound smart or this or that other. And there's seems to be two types of, of scares. There's the My Bloody Valentine 3D yeah. and Piranha 3D. The which jumps. Is, yeah. yeah, where it's like to jump out and, and start. That's more being startled. Yeah. And then there's The Shining or or Exorcist or or this Take Shelter movie, which doesn't have any traditional scares. I mean, it but it be, leaves an emotional but scare you, in But you. yeah, you <laughs> leave... And I had nightmares, like literally because <laughs> of this movie. And there are, there are nightmare sequences in this movie that don't do anything that horrific, but they are fucking creepy. And, <laughs> I, and, and I think a lot of it's just Michael Shannon is just a compellingly... I mean, he was in Bug. Did you see Bug, the Friedkin play adaptation? With I didn't, and I always wanted to. I remember when I worked at the video store, that mm-hmm. was a, we had one copy of it. And every time I went to rent it, it's someone had already gotten it. And I was like, son of a bitch. It's, like, I just wanted to see it because it seemed interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd love to see that on stage because I'm sure it's kind of that grand guignol thing where there's blood and splatter on stage. I just found out the other day like that Sweeney apparently Tom. they do a stage show of the movie Clue. And I would absolutely adore to see that <laughs> I had no live. idea. That's awesome. <laughs> like, does the, wait, it completely works. Does the audience interact? Because I know they do those murder mystery I things think where the audience interacts. One of, the way that I heard about it is that they have all three endings and... The audience, when they come in, are asked to write down A, B, or C, and they're not told what that means. Okay. And then the cast just whatever one got the most votes from the audience, okay. that's the ending that they get for the move for the play. It's like that's awesome. That's fun. See, when I was a kid, and I that went... completely makes sense because you think about it, that entire movie is in one set. Oh yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, you have to have like the two floors, yeah, the candle, and, but the, the whole room the whole thing yeah, is inside that mansion, so yeah. you don't even have to do. I, so I love murder. I love murder by death. The the Neil, it's another the, good one. Well, I mean, it's so Peter Falk is so funny. <laughs> well, what I liked about Clue is that it reminds me of um, it's it's a very Cole Potter Potter type humor. Yeah, and like anything goes is my end all favorite musical ever oh, written. Wow. I would love to see that done correctly yeah. as a film. So it's like that sense of humor, yeah. that like Marx Brothers yeah. madcap humor dry, mixed yeah, in that, with that. Yeah. I would love to see Did that. Did you live. see Brain Donors, the John Turturro Marx no. Brothers? It was basically they were just doing John Turturro. I don't know who was responsible for, but they basically were like, let's do a Marx Brothers movie now, <laughs> and just had John Turturro play Groucho, and they did it, and it literally opens with him as an ambulance chasing lawyer, literally running after an ambulance, <laughs> and it's all the jokes and the one-liners, and it's actually, I mean, I haven't seen it in fifteen years, or whatever, but it was pretty well done for that being basically a and that's why they keep talking about this Three Stooges movie yeah. which has been haunting Hollywood for years you know and, and with Sean Penn and Russell Crowe and these random people Mel Gibson was attached to it at one point Are they, is it a biopic or is it a legit I think we're doing a Three I Stooges a, movie I think that's the drama the dilemma is it's a legitimate Three Stooges movie and like they are dog catchers and have to stop the lady dowager from getting a pie thrown <laughs> in her face or whatever you know and 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 I think that's why Hollywood just can't get its fucking head around it because it's like, how do we? You know who should you throw. know who should write that movie? And uh, it's going to sound like I'm joking, but I literally just watched this on Netflix the other day. Get Rick Moranis and Dave Thomas to write it. Wow! Because I just rewatched Strange Brew the yeah, other day, and I was like, awesome. you know what? That movie, you could take Strange Brew and turn that into a Three Stooges film so simply. Strange Brew is brilliant. <laughs> I miss Dave Thomas. He was so funny. Rick Moranis hasn't. I mean, he quit acting. Well, he quit acting for personal reasons. Yeah. But it's like good for him. He doesn't need to no, work. Of course, that I mean, dude is living on Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Money. Is he? Is he at all in the business <laughs> at all? I mean, is he? His or apparently anything? the last thing he did was a voice for Baby Bear in like 2002. 
And the thing, I think it was his wife died. Wait, brother, brother bear. Yeah, there was like a cartoon called Brother Bear. Brother Bear. Yeah. Okay. Um, he's one of the voices. Yeah, he's one of the voices in that. But that's oh, his it. wife died. Yeah, his oh, wife died, and he decided to. He had enough money from Honey yeah. I Shrunk the Kids that he could just take care of his kids full time. So it's like I respect him for that. Yeah. Like, if, apparently, he has a country album out. <laughs> well, you you read? Did you read that article recently? I think it was on Film Drunk or one of the sites, uh, and it was uh, about Gene Hackman calling Wes Anderson a. I believe the C word <laughs> among other things during the making of Royal Tenenbaums. And like the, the whole cast had reassembled for like the 10th anniversary of it. And I love Royal Tenenbaums, but um, I like Wes Anderson movies. I, a I lot of people I, jump off the, off the boat for him after I, I, I like life aquatic a See, lot. I, I didn't and... click with, I mean, main like bottle rocket. Literally I saw, I walked into the theater in Kansas city <laughs> had never, I mean, I was just, pre me hearing much about Sundance. So I wouldn't yeah. known about that or any of that kind of stuff. And literally I just saw this movie and I'm just like, this is great. I mean, like, just these people are awesome. I love Dignan, and I, and I. So then I would watch any movie that Owen Wilson was in, and of course he was getting killed off in Armageddon and Anaconda and all this <laughs> stuff because he was like just a blonde guy and cable guy gets the shit beat out of him. But I mean, I, so I would always get mad. I literally walked out of Anaconda and The Haunting because they killed Owen Wilson. I, I stood up and said, "This is bullshit. No one kills Dignan," and I walked out. You know, and since and since then he's kind of gone on to do a bunch of goofy stuff. But but he's still such a tragic guy. With well, that, my friend you know. actually met the Wilson brothers. He did a short film with the wilson brothers and willie nelson of all people and he actually said owen wilson was one of the most cool yeah down-to-earth people he said luke wilson was kind of a dick no really which shocked me but he was like owen wilson was awesome well he he used to i mean that's the other thing i think he's a writer yeah wes anderson derailed once owen wilson stopped writing with him i don't know if it's because i just like Owen Wilson's sensibilities better or well did you see fantastic mr fox though uh yeah, I enjoyed that. I one. enjoyed. I thought that I the only film by him that I really was just like this is not a movie for me was Darjeeling Limited. Like I watched it two or three times. I was like, I don't. Yeah, I Everyone was like, once, oh, it's the return to, yeah, to his I, style, and I was like, no, this is not. I mean, it's what tough I want. for me because we've done a commercial that was, and we produced a commercial that was literally like a recreation of that running thing, and because it's <laughs> and I, and that's always frustrating to me because I you know to make a living I do commercials and things like that, and it's hilarious because how derivative commercials are i mean nowadays even of each other but let alone movies and so it it always does i, I think of it's what was like in the 80s when they started using beatles songs to sell nike shoes it had to be like what it just it was like yeah ladies wouldn't mean, my, my dad would have like my dad was probably just and my dad was in advertising but he was probably just like fuck don't fuck with the beatles you know? well, i remember paul mccartney was pissed off about yeah, that he because he didn't michael because jackson, michael had jackson the bought the rights and started yeah. using them for everything I remember there's a quote where he said, "Revolution was not written about a car." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, it's it's very weird. I mean, that's it's so weird now though. I mean, because it's I mean, Les and I were talking about this earlier because she's four years younger than me. But I mean, I I graduated from or I was a freshman in high school when Nevermind came out. So basically, right. right as the Gen X thing really kicked into gear, the you know whatever thing, and so which was good, which means I had good music relatively through high school and stuff like that. And Leslie's four years younger, so she, you know she, by that point grunge and that kind of stuff had been commodified and we had candle box and crap like yeah. that and but then there's since then has been the generation that grew up entirely with the internet at their disposal and all that and it, it and it's interesting and i don't and i just talking to young people it's there's no, no sense of i don't get the vibe i mean of course there's the occupy wall street thing going on right now which is like the world is a mess we're <laughs> frustrated but uh, people it's there's a the whole like gen x thing of like screw corporations and uh, i'm you know whatever it's I don't sense that as much now. I think kids are like, eh, if I like my iPhone, I'm keeping my iPhone. It's no big yeah. deal. Which is well, and that's, that's what they, I get confused with the Occupy Wall Street people. Is like, 
yeah, okay, occupy a job because you're yeah. out there drinking a Starbucks coffee, wearing Urban Outfitters yeah. clothes, and well, using your cell phone to talk about how you don't have enough money. Well, and that's why I wonder if it's just a generational <laughs> thing. And that's when, I, that's when I start to feel old is I'm like, maybe I just don't get it because I'm part of Gen X where I still think to rebel means literally to like, fuck everything what, what is it never mind yeah, screw yeah. it you know whatever nothing like that, matters that makes sense but, they don't seem to be I don't know I, but I that, had but a I friend think, who there's went a to the meeting. Philly one yeah and he said he got frustrated because he's oh, like really? he's like these people aren't protesting it's almost like they're just there for the cultural aspect well it is I think because he's like they're all sitting by their tents like yeah. drinking beer and smoking joints well, and just kind of hanging out it's and a he's zeitgeist like, thing I mean there's so many <laughs> unemployed people right now I mean that's the reason the tea party kind of came around a couple years ago was there were just a lot of people out of work and these people are like screw this, I'm going to go out and protest. Well, now there's even more people out of work and they <laughs> tend to be college-educated stoners, so they all want to go out now and <laughs> protest. But it is no... And, and I think it's, it is... I mean, I read a great Rolling Stone article by is it Matt Talibi, or I forget the, the Rolling Stone writer, where he kind of explains what he thinks it is. And he basically says, like, I'm not exactly sure. Like, yeah, maybe it's raising tax on corporations, whatever. But he says, but what it is, it is a zeitgeist thing. And it just... It's just this feeling that, look, there's nothing wrong with corporations. Like, we like our iPhones. We like our Starbucks. Leslie's drinking <laughs> one right now. Um, and, and I do, too. And, I, you know, I, I drive a Toyota. And it's fun, you know. And it's like, um, but uh, it's, it's the whole thing of, like, if corporations are considered people, you know, by the government, well, then they should have to have fucking manners like people yeah. do. Like, I can't walk into a room and just take whatever the fuck I want. I have to ask nicely. And so it's like if a corporation wants to have the rights of a human being, which it does apparently, then it should have to have manners. And, it, and if, instead of when it's going to rob me, it should at least, you know, give me the benefit of a reach around when it does it. You know? <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, it's, 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 it's an odd thing. I'm curious to see where it's going to go. I mean, it's obviously not – it's weird to compare it to the Arab Spring because there's not – I just cannot see – these people storming the Capitol building with guns. Yeah. That's not going to happen because America's, we're still, you know, as much as we can complain about America, it's still the best place on earth. It's still where people <laughs> look at as the, and I think that's why I think the rest of the world, when they, you know, when people go abroad and, and, and cause Leslie was abroad when nine 11 happened. So she didn't yeah. have any of the whole American kind of rah, rah, rah stuff we had here. So she had to basically experience it over there where people were just kind of like, no, that's what America gets after all this stuff. And she's like, okay and it's like <laughs> but it's not it, what it is is that people still i love the idea of america americans yeah. and everyone else and and i um and they just feel like let down because it's reality i mean yeah. it, we can't be this beautiful perfect ideal you know it's and, and i think that's what occupy wall street is it's like we've been told our whole life pull yourselves up by your bootstraps and america you can do what you want and obama honestly is a hell i mean the guy bill clinton too and both those guys and bush I get why he's president. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it makes sense. But Clinton and, and Obama, I mean, single moms. I mean, it's totally like that's the American success story. But uh, it's not that easy. It's not that yeah. kind. It's just a fluke. I mean, if anything. So um, it's a lot of hard work on their end and so on and so forth. So I just think it's people just get worn out. And I think that's really what this, this is Occupy Wall Street thing is more of just like an exhaustion of like, and I think that's why it's going to fizzle out is because well, we're just get tired of that too. Well, and that's the thing is like my uncle who at first I was like, oh, this is kind of cool what's going on. And then as it kept going and I kept reading more stuff, I was just like, I don't know if I agree with this. And then I have an uncle who's discovered Facebook recently. <laughs> that's always great. And yeah. he uses Facebook as a uh, oh, no, soapbox. Oh, I, really, that's the worst. Which That's how you lose all your friends. Sometimes, but I have to say he... I, I have hidden most of his statuses just because it's like, I don't want that on my news. Well, yeah. every once in a while I'll read them 
And he's a guy who came from nothing, created two of his own businesses, sure. and that's and he's just like, you know, you live in the only country where if you don't have a job, you can create a job. Yeah. But and, that, so, and that's where it's just kind of like well that is, and that and that is true to a certain degree but I I think there was a great article I think Chuck Klosterman wrote it or, or probably Chuck Klosterman's incredible yeah writer. and it, I mean, it basically was the first person who said it and no one has still said it yeah but and Leslie told me to like I should write an article about it so here I am I'm talking Go about it, it now yeah. why um, on a podcast for ten or fifteen people to listen we to. <laughs> invented yeah we invented robots <laughs> and computers and things to, and now we have Siri on the iPhone to yeah. make our lives easier and better. And unfortunately, it's taken away a lot of jobs. Like literally, I used to go to the Third Street Promenade and I'd park, uh, and there was some gal there who would take my parking ticket when I'd pay at the end. Yeah. Well, they've since boarded the boarded the thing up and put a electric box there. Well, that was a person who had a job, and now yeah. it's a now it's a machine I can put my credit card into, which is easier, and I don't have to deal with the person, and they don't have to pay the person, and so on and so forth. But that's still a person who somewhere is out there now, unemployed or doing yeah. something. And it's literally, if you're not, you know. Like, sure, you can make a job, but a lot of the jobs have been made, and now they're run by machines yeah. and computers. Well, and that's I know a lot of people gave him flack when he did this at his State of the Union address, but uh, Obama, during I think it was two years ago during one of his State of the Union address, talked about the way to fix the economy is to focus on education. And his I, explanation, which, which completely is, made sense to me, true. was, you know, the Internet was created by a bunch of kids who were given a proper education. Yeah. Like, you yeah. have to focus on the younger generation that's, to be able to come up with the next job well, market. And they, they always say, I mean, that's the one thing that makes countries rise from poverty is actually educating, <clears throat> excuse me, educating the women of the country, which I think is a big problem when, when you have, you know, places in the Middle East that, yeah. that oppress women's rights and things like that. Um, and, you know, and so what's so weird is like Iraq uh, was actually, because um, it was kind of secularish when Saddam was there and women yeah. actually had, a, there were women doctors and stuff like that. And now it's kind of <laughs> gone backwards because it's turned more kind of fundamentally. But um, it's so true. I mean, that's in that African nation is the same thing. Like once women are kind of given more rights, that means half the pop, half the population wasn't a part of the society. And now <laughs> they suddenly are. So you have twice as much chance of discovering a cure for cancer or inventing a new job or starting a new company so on and so forth. And it's just, I don't know why it's taken I mean, I, I still don't understand why women have had the vote here for 100 years and there's a majority of them and they still have not elected a woman as president. I just don't. <laughs> you guys just just do it on principle. You know, like, I don't know how they haven't done it yet. But, but I guess it's a testament to women's humility. I think it's guys closer course, and closer and closer. To yeah, that, though. It, yeah. Especially, I mean, even in the last like 10 years. Well, sure. I mean, Hillary huge was huge change. I, I was I mean, I, I was I'm not a big. I mean, I don't get into politics I don't much, either. but I mean, I did back when the Iraq war started, but once it like Bush got reelected and the whole thing, I was just like, fuck it. It's what difference does it make? And just back to my Gen X thing. But <laughs> well, um, there was a, uh, there was a post apparently in Canada, they have a sign, which I hope it's true. I hope it's actually Canadian and not just like some kid posting it on yeah. the wall and put, taking a picture and sending it, but it says vote or shut the fuck up. And it's kind of like, that's basically where my philosophy has been. Like, yeah. yeah, I don't vote, but also I don't bitch too much about politics. Because yeah, it's like, oh, I didn't make my right voice to. heard. Like, I have no right to complain. Well, I just look at it as you've got enough money, you can buy your buy politics anyway. <laughs> like, so I just, I'm, I'll just pay a couple hundred, couple thousand bucks and there's my vote. Because um, that just <laughs> bought 25 votes, you know. So I don't have to vote now. But um, but I was going to say when Hillary Clinton didn't get the nomination, and, and I think, you know, I, it's Obama's great too. Like, honestly, I kind of like his personality seems like a cooler dude than yeah. like she's kind of weird but i it kind of broke my heart because it's like i just the woman thing is like come on girls like i don't I think, know i really think in the next 10 15 years yeah. we're gonna see it 
which I'm excited for. And is it going to be, is it going to be Condi? <laughs> that would be so wild. She's so weird. We got so far off the track about film. <laughs> yeah, I know. Sorry. Well, not, uh, well that let, circles us back because I think of Condi Newton in the Bush movie, the W movie. Yeah. And that, and her, Danny Newton, uh, yeah, Condi uh, played by Danny Newton was one of the most horrific performances. <laughs> it was so <laughs> creepy because she was doing this like creepy impression of, it actually was dead on of Condoleezza Rice, but it was also like, it makes you realize how weird Condoleezza Rice is and then how weird it is to be an actor that you're just doing an impression of a person that's a real person who's still, I don't know, it was creepy. Do you have anything coming up that you want to promote before we uh, Oh, well, wrap yeah, up? I, uh, I, I'm just, uh, with my company, Steel Films, we're developing, uh, got a couple of TV shows in the works that we're developing and then pitching around, um, uh, kind of in different, different, uh, arenas one is kind of an extension of fling um so it's exploring open relationships and stuff um and then another one's a higher concept kind of one set in the fashion world and we're still developing these so i can't i guess talk about them too much and then in addition to that we've got some uh feature work that we're doing one of them is a, a movie about time travel which is really nice. topical because today i read on the daily beast that they did another test with the neutrinos over there at the CERN collider or whatever mm-hmm. and i don't know if you heard about this a couple weeks ago but the neutrinos went faster than the speed of light meaning they arrived 60 milliseconds earlier than they were supposed to arrive, <laughs> which in doesn't sound cool, but when you think of it, it's like imagine, you know, throwing a ball and catching the ball before you throw it. Like that's yeah. theoretically, which is time travel. And so they, they everyone was like, oh, it's bullshit, it doesn't work. So they did the test again, and I guess it worked again. So if this is legitimate, it proves that, and it disproves the theory of relativity. I don't know where they're going to go with that yeah. and, and how that affects everything. And I don't know if it's purely on this quantum level, but... Um, as a result, it's topical. So our time travel movie that we're working on is is a lot of fun. I, we just wanted to make a really, I want to make a really procedural um, kind of mystery about uh, time travel. Like, what if it was re- not not the campy timeline thing? I was gonna say like Primer, nights. but if people could actually Exa- understand yes. what was happening That's in that a, movie, you're exactly right. Because I <laughs> I love Primer, but I have no clue what it's yeah. going. I've watched it six times. Yeah, I, I don't I, know. I what broke happens. it down. I mean, we broke it down. I went online and found. I mean, there's like nine separate timelines, and, and it. <laughs> And th- there's also a philosophy behind it too. I mean, I think Donnie Darko explores that stuff too. But yeah. it, it, where there's kind of different worldviews, there's there's the deterministic worldview, which is you go back. It's that, the one that like Terminator espouses yeah. or La Jetée or Twelve Monkeys, where you go back and if you killed, if you tried to kill your grandfather, you wouldn't be able to or whatever, because then he wouldn't be able to give birth to you or whatever it is. Then there's the st- new Star Trek movie and the Primer thing, where it basically creates an, a parallel dimension. So you've got Kirk and all them off in one dimension, and then you've got Chris Pine and and you know Zachary Which is Quinto. Which the smartest way they could have possibly. They no, that. they that was. I mean, it was <laughs> incredible. I, I couldn't believe how well that worked. I mean, I loved it. That was like I, that's those J.J. Abrams guys when they're on there. Wow, <laughs> like they nailed it. I mean, that's it's like when I that even made up for the like multiple episodes of Lost where I was just like, you guys are just fucking free balling this. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> so that's why I like Fringe actually for the first number of seasons was because it feels like they didn't make the same mistakes they did with Lost. Where they basically said, okay, let's figure out our mythology first. <laughs> when we sit down and have and lunch, then, I have a story for you because oh, I'm cool. actually friends with one of the writers of Lost. Oh, cool. And well, I've got some fun well, stories to you'll enjoy. <laughs> so anyway, so that's what we're up to is just some movies and stuff like that. Steelfilms.com is our website and we do commercials and things normally, but, but, uh, I mean, I'm always weird. I and mean, actually, I just for the hell of it, I put a call on Facebook for scripts. Yeah, because I saw that. Yeah, I just. I mean, I'm like, I, you know, I kind of just miss. I, I enjoy making Last Halloween. You're the second Leslie. guest that's done that. Really? Uh, my, I actually have a script 
waiting to be reviewed from another guest because he actually just did that too where they put out hey we need scripts for our next two features yeah well i mean so it's, it's like all right <laughs> it's weird because it's so it's awesome now i mean it's so easy yeah. to make a movie now i mean you could do it with an iphone and, and it can look good i mean i um like crazy was shot on a 7d and they shot at lax and i'm sure they shot with telephoto lenses and had the <laughs> actors just go in there and talk and probably didn't even get clearance whatever and it's great i mean that's awesome i think it was done for 50 grand the whole movie it's just incredible what you can do now so unfortunately, every time I write a script, I and I've got a number of scripts written. They tend to get bigger and bigger. I start adding hurricanes in, and you know, time <laughs> travel and things like that. That's why with the time travel thing, I'm trying to figure out how can I how can I primer it? How can I make it really small and simple and real? And so we can set it a university and make it really, um, you know, Kip Thorne like you know Caltech whatever stuff. I don't know, but it, we'll we'll see how it goes. Um, <laughs> but I, I just uh, it's just fun. It'd be fun to find something to just like make and I know that there's a lot of writers who just want to want their stuff produced and a lot of actors who are definitely want to work um, and I just feel like every time I sit down to write a script it just gets bigger and bigger and then I have to go <laughs> out and try to sell it and hustle it and that's the stuff that drives me nuts because I'm a creator I want to create so I let my producer go do that stuff and then I can I can you know create some stuff in the meantime so all right what's the website one last time steelfilms.com s-t-w-e-l-e films.com all right well we'll be back right after this commercial break thanks for coming by John thanks Matt now, Chris, you are, as you said, you are a horror aficionado. Yes, I am. Okay, we're back, I guess. <laughs> uh, I I have the title on Geekscape and now on Reddit, which I love, which is the proprietor of all that is shit. Uh, <laughs> essentially, uh, trauma. Essentially, if it is a bad horror movie or a bad album or a terrible band or a bad comic book, I'm reading it. <laughs> I'm, I'm watching it. I just love B-movies. So are you looking forward to The Expendables 2? I am beyond excited for Expendables 2. <laughs> Van Damme. But I'm more excited for Birdemic 2. <laughs> oh, my God. What about uh, Thanks Killing 2? Oh, they're finally making Thanks Killing 2? Yes, the turkey's off strike. I'm excited for that. Uh, I'm actually really excited. The thing I'm really excited for legitimately, I hate the whole 3D film thing that's been going on, with a few exceptions. And those few exceptions are that in 2012, I can look forward to Piranha 3 Double D. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I can look forward to, apparently, the Killer Clowns from Outer Space requel done in 3D. That could be pretty cool. Which is being done by the entire original cast and crew. They're redoing Killer Clowns, but they're doing it as if it were a sequel so that you can watch it either way. All right. As a remake or a sequel, kind of like Evil Dead 2. Got to have the theme song, though. Gotta have the theme song. Oh, if song. they don't get the Dickies to do a new theme song or the exact same song, it'll be disappointing. Yeah, completely. But can you think of an 80s horror film that lends itself to 3D better than Killer Clowns? Like the exploding noses and like the blazer oh. guns and like it. That'd it be, would, it's yes, gonna be a blast. Yo, it was gonna it's definitely gonna be a blast. <laughs> Another well That's this, the problem. This is during the beginning of the 3D thing in the theaters. My bloody Valentine in 3D was hilarious. But that's the thing, is that those movies make sense. Have you seen Final Destination 5? No. That is hilarious in 3D. But see, that's the thing. Like, exploitation horror is what 3D is for. Yes. I mean, Friday the 13th Part 3 It's these in other, 3D. Yeah. It's these other movies that just don't make sense. Like, I guarantee, as shitty as Jaws 3 is, I'm sure Jaws 3D is a blast to watch. What, what I want to know, why the fuck is a romance movie in 3D? Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, why are we doing these movies in 3D? Like, the, these... These giant larger-than-life films, these animated films. Like the Muppets in 3D. The Why? Muppets, I don't understand. And I loved the Muppets. 
I love Wait, the Muppet movie. Actually, one of the best 3D movies I saw was Howard... Howard. Yeah. Harold and Kumar Save Christmas in 3D because again, it was it, made for 3D and it was hilarious. Make, when they make a movie for... That's what, Piranha was one of my favorite movie watching. Piranha was hilarious. I saw Shark Knight 3D. That was... Oof. That was hard. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, Shark Knight itself is hard. Yeah. Well, I mean, no, that, that's almost as bad as prom night. The worst part about seeing Shark Knight 3D was that I was so pumped up for it. Not that I thought the movie was going to be good, but I'm like, all right, it's Shark Knight 3D. Yeah, you hear like, the title, you're like, Shark Knight. Like, oh my God, this is going to be amazing. And then like, you read the review and you're just like, oh God. No, what shocked me was when I, because I was just like, you know what? I don't care how crappy this is. It's going to be like Piranha. I'm going to see all types of crazy stuff in 3D. And then I buy my ticket and see that it's PG-13 uh-huh. and immediately a sinking feeling came over me of like all the things that I was hoping to see in 3d in this movie. I'm not going to see. Okay. This is a quick public service announcement. A slasher in a slasher. That's rated PG 13 is not a smart, savvy thriller. It is going to suck. That's not always true. Prom night. I rest my case. Prom night. There has been a few exceptions. April fool's day. I'm trying to think off the top of my head, but every once in a while, a slasher. I'm just saying, every once in a while, you see a PG-13 horror movie where you go, huh, that was actually pretty good. For yeah, PG-13. yeah, yeah. There, yeah, there was one. It was called The Ring. <laughs> I didn't and, like and that, that was the, Well, The Ring was good when it came out because people weren't going crazy over the Japanese horror now, where everything is Japanese now. But there, there is... I admit that it's very rare, but every once in a while, I'll catch a PG-13 horror movie where I go... Wow, that was really good. Yeah, yeah, that's when they're called psychological thrillers. That, okay, when they're shit. not, yeah, when they're not a slasher. slasher I mean, come on, true. prom you night. Need, you need to see, you need to see heads coming off. And yes, I want to see my blood, see. boobs. You know, I want to see my blood and boobs. And that's if what it's I want. Three D, it's even better. Yes, three well, D blood and boobs. What's the quote? There's a documentary that that's been released from Troma that I want to see, and it's about the guy who created the movie Night Beast. Ah. And the movie's called Blood, Boobs, and Beasts. That's what I'm talking about. I want my his, blood, boobs, and beasts. That was his philosophy on what makes a good horror movie is the three Bs. And you know what? He is completely right. <laughs> <laughs> he is completely right. If you're missing even one of those three elements, there's, yeah. there's, there's one exception. Sleepaway Camp has no boobs. And it's yeah. perfection. True, true. <laughs> that movie true, true. has no boobs. Well, but not, they made up for it in part yeah. two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. They part had a lot two, of boobs. They had a lot of boobs there. 80 minutes long, and I would say about an hour of it has topless women. <laughs> oh, hell yeah, man. It was tits galore. But no, that's, I mean, yeah. that, it's true. Blood, boobs, and beasts is what you need for right. a good horror movie. That's what you need for a good horror movie. I mean, that's that, that, besides just horror, that's exploitation, man. I mean, come on. And based on the film that's playing on the TV in our studio right now, also, if you can get some badass heavy metal sequences <laughs> and oh, uh, yeah. cameos from Ozzy Osbourne and Gene Simmons, you're not doing too bad for yourself either. I am, yeah. of course, talking about the film Trick or Treat. Uh, released in the mid '80s, directed by of all people, I can't remember his name, but it is Frog from uh, American Graffiti. All right, uh, uh, I smell Carl a segue, people. I smell a segue. No, 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 no. Oh, okay, maybe wrong. Okay, you, you sorry. smell uh, us having to wrap up the show. <laughs> really? Yeah. Already? Damn. Uh, so I'm going to try to get some recordings from tonight's show, and if the sound's uh-huh. all right, maybe I'll throw one on at the end. But also if- have an exclusive, exclusive track, exclusive track. 
You gonna put it on the this episode? Yeah, why not? All right. Well, then maybe we'll just play the exclusive track, and then yes. after it, maybe you'll hear some live stuff. If yeah, not, maybe. Sorry. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> um, the exclusive track is called "Keep Breaching." It is off of the mixtape. Well, it's going to be a mix EP, Future the crossover EP. with me and a rapper by the name of Echo the Dawn. Like we're doing a whole split, and the album's called the crossover. So this is "Keep Breaching." As a kid, this game that trivial was vital. Quarterbacks were gods, musicians were idols, and everything that really matters seemed to just slip past me. My future career was simple, pro athlete. I never was an all pro, deluded as shit. Looking in like my knees folded and the ACL split. My dream ripped before my eyes get by scholarship. Now I'm looking like a punk kid, crying like a bitch. Plan B, time to reevaluate, set the record straight. Years pass by, yeah, my musician is my fate. Years on the hustle. My life for constant struggle Fans say my voice is magic But I feel like a mother Reality check Christmas moms took the last breath Now I'm hit by the process Of imminent death But I'm still reaching for that star And maybe she'll guide me And bring out this magic I'm supposed to have inside me When I look up to the sky I don't know how I don't know why But I feel I can go on I feel I can go on When I I don't know how, I don't know why, but I feel I can go It's been so long. Bullshit on the regular. I'm telling you to hold on. Listen, what you know about a struggle? Getting your heat turned off and being forced to hustle. Neither my mother or my father ever wanted me. Now fucking chicks making M O N E. Why? You really trying to pull me back to that one room shack in the kitchen whipping crack? I'm a spaz. If I ever go back, cause if I do, I'm all in trying to double up my stacks. Fuck it. Whether I get life or a murder charge, my battle scars prove I already should have been murdered, dog. I'm a soldier. GST, baby. Now I'm seeing the finer things, fast cars and ladies. My goal in life is to succeed in life. Because the purpose of life is to live life with a purpose, right? When I look up to the sky, I don't know how, I don't know why. But I feel I can go on. I feel I can go on. When I look up to the sky, I don't know how, I don't know why. But I feel I can go on. I feel I can go on. Tell me life's a bitch, sometimes she smack you in the face So put her in a place, go ahead, smack that bitch back Defensive and dream shattered, chasing after quarterbacks Turn to blunt rap, strings, tats, and cigarette packs Brought up in a world where opposites attract Main attraction to these haters, what the fuck you know about that? Growing up every day, I got laughed at The same people laughing, couldn't show you where a rap at Think it's that easy, I'll supply the pen and paper It's just funny how your haters are those friends who turn to strangers Can hear a word you say I just dropped the truest statement No goals and they mad cause I made me some arrangements Physically I'm tired, spirits beating to the pavement But I'm putting all this work cause that effort brings me payment So check this, I'm addicted to a crazy bitch Gorgeous girl with the wish to tap my name on the wrist ah. When I look up to the sky I don't know how, I don't know why But I feel I can go on I feel I can go on 
feel I can go on. I feel I can go on.